This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. Michael Rand here along with Patrick Royce. A day later than usual. Obviously had the holiday yesterday. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Patrick, you have a good weekend? Oh, it was okay. I got out to the town ball one day and man, what a weekend it was. Wasn't oh, it yeah. just gorgeous weather, man? Not too hot, not too cold, and not any rain. So it was uh, it was a gorgeous weekend. Yes, it was. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's uh you know what else is another nice dis- nice uh distraction is I, I i decided this on sunday morning i think it was i woke up and said i figured out how many days it was since my dad and i went to the twins first ever home game okay 21,000 and i realized that this is the least interest i've ever had in whether they're going to win today or not wow <laughs> This is like, this is, they're not even worth monitoring anymore. That was my, because uh, there's so little being decided about the future uh, as they play out this season that, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, anyway, we can talk about them later, but I would yes. just thought I'd throw that in there. Interesting. They are at their nadir with me. Uh, that's it. Or, uh, you know, as far as this season's concerned, I, uh, I think I watched a couple innings uh, over the weekend. So, yeah, I've watched less Twins this year than I have in a long time. I think you're right, and it's just, yeah, there's not, uh, you know, Joe, when Joe Ryan pitched the other night, I wanted to see that. I think he pitches again. He might pitch tonight. I can't. I didn't look it up, but I think that might be him. His turn again since he pitched Wednesday last week. But yeah, it's like there's just not much to to get too excited about right now. And they're still running a lot of the veterans out there. It's like we don't need to see these guys. Like we need to know who can play. Okay. Since we got started on the twins. <laughs> the other thing, this Bailey Ober thing that yeah. we have to restrict his innings because he didn't pitch last year. He is six foot nine. He is young. He's a monster. And he says he's fine. What do you think if he only pitches 90 this in years, this inning, this season, it's going to have uh, a, a greater assist to his career than if he pitches 115. What is wrong with these morons? If he says he's fine and he's, he's, you know, and he is fine, he's six foot nine and he's going to, you know, if he wants to keep pitching six innings a game for the rest of the season, who cares? Those those two innings they saved yesterday, boy, that was some astute strategy, wasn't it? Instead of having him pitch six, we're going to have him pitch four, and then that'll really make him a better pitcher next year. That's, uh, you know, that's so stupid. It's beyond belief to me. It's, uh, you know, if he wants to pitch, if he's healthy, you know, pitch him every sixth day, but let him pitch to the finish line. And why do you have to bring in the monster Pineda after this kid's pitched four innings and throwing 55 pitches? It's just, it's, it's beyond stupid. They missed last season. Okay. That doesn't mean that he can't pitch 110 innings this year. When you look at him, you know, if you, you, you ever look at Bailey over and say, boy, I think he's wearing down. Look at the poor guy. That that's just poor little fella. He's only he should be playing power forward for the Timberwolves, for God's sake. <laughs> they could yeah. use him. Yeah. Yes, they could. Anyway, that's that's my latest well, complaint. That's a good point. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's like the percentages and the data, and they've convinced themselves of this, but 
I think the point you made a week or two ago is in doing this, you know, A, you don't let him build up the arm strength, and B, like everything you think you're learning about Bailey Ober, it's good. It's good information still, but when you limit his innings like that, you're not finding out what happens when he pitches to the lineup a third time, right? You you still don't know what's going to happen next year when he gets into a jam in the sixth inning, in the the fifth inning, sixth inning, really, because, you know, he's not really going that long except for – I think it was one or two games because his pitch count was low enough that he got that far, but it's just, you're not finding out enough information in being this cautious. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, they, they can, they can explain every decision by uh, some dad. They have no data on a pitcher who missed the previous season when he was healthy. They have, they don't have that data. They have that data on the guy who missed the previous season because he had Tommy John surgery. Well, that's a different animal than this. That's a, this, you know, that's, they had this whole collection of players, thousands, hundreds of them that missed last season because there was no minor league baseball. That was their fault. So, but these are perfectly, you can't take the data of guys who missed a season because they had surgery or they were injured, injured, and then apply that to a guy who's, healthy who would have been healthy last year and who's healthy this year that's there is there is no data for this and uh, your data has to be watching him watching him pitch watching how he's moving around watching you know watching what he tells you i'm great i feel great go take another x-ray of him if you think he's wearing down or an mri or something but the idea that you know that it'll help him if he doesn't pitch 110 innings this year, if he only pitches 90 or whatever it's going to be, is stupid. You, you don't know. You have no idea. If he wants to pitch, let him pitch. I love that this is your new pet crusade. That You, you, pick, you pick good ones. You, you don't just pick things at random <laughs> or with whimsy. You pick things that actually have a logical argument to them. So I like this one. This, this one is fun. Uh, but. Yeah. But like you said, the Twins, I mean, we can take them or yeah. leave them. Polanco had another mm-hmm. good game. That's encouraging, but they're they're just playing out the string won't right have, now. Won't have to take us long to vote on the MVP for the Twins. This no, year. it is that's Jorge sure. Polanco. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. What a year he's having. It. He lost, uh, lost in the shuffle. But uh, anyway, by the way, I've also made this decision. Okay. If they're not going to let Ober pitch another 25 innings and – Caleb Thielbar, I nominated a couple of weeks ago, but I don't know about that. We should make a statement, the local chapter, the BBWAA, and not award the pitcher of the year. Vacated. 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 We should not have one. There's not <laughs> one qual. There's not, with Brio's gone after four months, with Taylor Rogers shut down at the end of July, there is not a pitcher of the year on this team. I vote for vacating it. That'd be so, so embarrassing if that happened. That'd be, yes, it'd be it wonderful. Would. It'd be, I mean, honestly, it like it's not wrong, really. I mean, no, no, it's not. You, I mean, you can't look through that whole list and say, "Well, this year wasn't much." I mean, okay, you got you got some guys like Ken Schramm or some guy, but they won fifteen games. You know, yeah. something like they pitched innings. You know, they weren't great pitchers, but. Uh, I don't, I don't know if he ever run it, but I remember I think he did one year because he won 15 games and when they were terrible. But, uh, you know, I, I, I say don't have one. That's that's going to be my campaign. I'll get outvoted, but uh, that's that'll be my campaign. 
Well, what's more embarrassing, having it be vacated or having some guy with a 4.72 ERA? When it is, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, let's pivot yeah. to the Gophers here. We were going to talk about that at the beginning. Then we got going to the Twins, which is good, which is fine. But uh, when, when we left the show last Monday, so a little over a week ago, right at the end, you said, and you didn't name the names, but you, it was implied, Gophers 26, Ohio State 24. Uh-huh. And... That was looking, you know, okay looking for possible. Looking it was possible. looking possible. It was looking okay, but then Ohio State <laughs> blitzed them with all that speed in the second half. Obviously, 45-31 was the final there. Chip and I talked about that quite a bit on Friday show last week, but I want to get your perspective on it. What uh, what did you see? You wrote about your pal PJ Flack again. What uh, what was your takeaways from that uh, from that opener on Thursday? Uh, well, I, I found out early that uh, I wasn't sure who was going to win, but I found out that 26-24 was not going to be enough points uh, <laughs> once the second half started and they both teams started moving. Uh, my takeaway was the, the uh, elements that I thought could lead to an upset, which was the Gophers holding the ball and holding the ball and holding the ball. Uh, were there they they existed the offensive line the 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 you look at the ohio state defense and there are very few playmakers on that defense it did it, it, it's it looked undersized up front their linebacker their whole linebacking crew was new and you could see that they weren't those ohio state linebackers you're used to seeing making plays all over and their secondary which was terrible last year they gave up 300 games at yards a game passing this now it's those guys are, they got different bad guys in the secondary. So I thought those elements were there, but uh, I had, uh, and the, and the freshman quarterback with the other thing I thought was maybe the freshman quarterback could have trouble. And he did, he wasn't very good the first half at all. Right. But uh, then, uh, you know, I had no idea that, uh, that the, I guess I had no idea that the defensive risks the Gophers had to take to stop the run, which was, you know, to, to put a lot of these guys out there one-on-one trying to play defense against these receivers. Uh, I had no idea that the gopher secondary had no chance. Now, supposedly the safety uh, was there is their best player got hurt in the third yep. quarter. Howland, I don't think he would have made much difference, but they might've, but when they threw their touchdown passes, they might, the Gophers might've had someone and actually on the TV screen uh, when, <laughs> if, he'd stayed, if he'd been in the game, right. As, a, as I said, at the end of the column, I wrote, you know, people complaining about the Ohio state uh, not being called for pass interference. And uh, I said, you know, the Gophers, the Gophers could have maybe gotten away with some pass interference too, if they'd been close enough to interfere, <laughs> you know, that whole lobby. And uh, I mean, here's the thing, the, the, the Stroud, the kid got a lot of praise. The, uh, the second half, he didn't have to make a tough throw for a touchdown. No. He had the one guy running eight yards, 10 yards open on the long pass down the field the other stuff was, you know, the one was a little screen, whatever it was, not a screen, whatever it was, a little pass to that freshman who went 70 yards. And then another one on just on the outside that it was, they were all easy throws. He was three for five at one point for, uh, you know, two touchdowns and 180 yards without having to make any tough throws there. 
the Gophers uh, uh, defensive uh, secondary was uh, was uh, horrible. But here, here's what we don't know: uh, the Ohio State, the real one of the real assets beyond these athletes is their offensive line. Yeah. So yeah. This, this Gopher defensive front, which did nothing. Uh, this new defensive front they have with some transfers and yep. some leftover guys. Are they going to be okay against a normal? I mean, they'll obviously be okay against Miami or Ohio, but will they, will they do something to pressure future quarterbacks, you know, that, uh, that, 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 they, that they couldn't do against that Ohio state offensive line. That's to me, everybody talks about, ah, they won't see that speed, blah, blah, blah. And they're right. But, you know, maybe they won't see an offensive line that good, which would then give them a chance uh, defensively if, if they could put some pressure on the quarterback. We all we all uh, ripped the hell out of the secondary, but uh, the, uh, the defensive line was terrible, too. And the linebackers weren't very good either. I mean, they just – defensively, they weren't good. That's, that's for sure. But the, I, I was expecting more from the defensive front, and they got manhandled by the – by the Ohio State uh, offensive line, and maybe that won't happen in the future. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, when you play a team like that, like Chip and I talked about, I felt like there was an opportunity there that they missed because you know you get the you know the interception negated when you get the roughing the passer call. You yeah, get a couple yeah. things to go your way. You get the over you know the the bad pass from the quarterback in the first half that leads to an interception that gets you that gets you in the in, even further into the game. Uh, you know, end of the day, Ohio State's just better. But how how do you then take that and try to figure out? Okay, how does this Gophers team, you know, minus now, unfortunately, um, their best player, uh, Ibrahim, is out now for the season. Mo, how do you take that? Take all that information and try to make a a, pro- a projection of how the rest of the year goes because it's such an anomaly of an opener. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you don't, uh, I mean, Gophers, uh, I remember when they opened against Penn State, uh, one of Wacker's years, and, uh, and, uh, and that when Penn State first came into the league, the second year Penn State was in the league, they opened here. Okay. Gophers opened there, and they opened here. And I remember Sid uh, writing optimistically about it, and it was 52 to three or some damn thing like that. But, uh, you know, Kajana Carter, Kahana Carter, and all those guys from Pitts, Penn State. And this is, you know, I don't think Ohio State's in anywhere near that class that Penn State team was. But what I but I, I guess what I'm saying is this was a this was a you know a, a, a by that standard a very competitive uh effort. I don't think this is a great Ohio State team yet. I think they're gonna lose once or twice because I don't think they're any good defensively, but I, it, it is, I guess, hard to project. You look at the big 10 and you say, okay, Hey, Illinois is better. And then they get beat by uh, who uh, they get beat by a, someone not good. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't good. FC team and Nebraska's they're going to go, but they, they should be good in the West. Right. I mean, uh, Nebraska's terrible and Illinois is not, yeah, I guess they're not any good. Northwestern's terrible. I told you that. I gave you that heads up uh, last you week did. That, uh, that they had fewer returning players than anybody in the country and uh, that they were, you know, Northwestern isn't like reloadville. They have to, they have to develop their team. So I, I think it made 
all things possible, uh, like Purdue. To, to, that's huge, right now, right? They're gonna go. They're gonna open their their next Big Ten games at Purdue, right? Yeah. Play three non-conference games. So Purdue's not good, and Purdue hasn't recruited well. But they got Brom, and they got they'll have an offense, and we'll we'll let's see how their defense plays uh, a month from now, and also at Colorado. Colorado's okay, good. So I I don't think we know. I I think there's you know, it's, it's a, it's just a tragedy for the kid, Muhammad, because yeah. that guy's more, you know, it's bad for the team, obviously, but it's that kid is such a, I don't know him, but just observing everything I've read about him, everything I've seen about him. He's just a hard nosed, talented, but sometimes yeah. he's, he's so damn hard nosed that you don't give him credit for his talents, you know? Right, but that fifty-six yard run that he made PJ look like the genius of all time uh, was was amazing. That cut he made at the line of scrimmage, and he was just gone there. And uh, I don't know. To answer your question. I'm I I have no idea where they're headed, but I I'm I'm curious as to uh, uh, a month from now if they go down there and manhandle Purdue and the defense looks competitive. Uh, then, then okay. Then, then they could win the West. They, they, they could win the West. Wisconsin. I mean, did you, how, how embarrassed is uh, is uh, Paul Christ? He uh, he uh, he goes with Graham Mertz. The kid has three turnovers in the last three minutes, and then the guy they let go away, Jack Cohn, the uh, guy that Graham Mertz replaced. Uh, what throws four touchdown passes for Notre Dame, yeah. right? Something like that. So I mean, that's a that's a pretty humiliating weekend for uh, Notre for uh, Wisconsin losing. Now I think Penn State's going to be good defensively, but to put up ten points against uh, in your opener at home with your hot shot uh, quarterback who supposedly has got himself one of those uh, big contracts to uh, sell his personal likeness. Uh, that's they. You know they can't feel too good about themselves. They were overrated anyway, I think. But uh, now that now they've proved it, so the West is, you know, winning the West is still very possible. But I got news for them. Yeah. Unless somebody gets hurt, if they have a rematch with Ohio State, Ohio yeah. State's going to be better. Ohio State's going to be a lot better than they were uh, last Thursday. Yeah, that's true. And you wrote about uh, you wrote about your guy PJ. How'd that work out for you? Oh, perfect. <laughs> It was uh, it was uh, when I heard Gus raving about how uh, PJ had promised he was gonna he had such great strategies that uh, the Ohio that the Michigan that the Ohio State sideline was gonna pretty much be in chaos trying to figure out his adjustments. He's gonna make the coaches coach. Uh, it, it doesn't make much sense on the surface, but basically he was saying that. Uh, these guys aren't going to just be able to sit over there and right. use their talent because I got this stuff for them and man, they're going to be over there. And somehow, somehow, according to Gus's version of this, they were going to be so desperate defensively with uh, the seven man line, offensive line and all that stuff he was using that somehow that was going to put more pressure on Stroud. They have to make plays because the Gophers were going to have the ball and whatever, whatever, logic cj gave them uh when uh when gus was bellowing uh, after ibrahim's touchdown that put the gophers ahead 
he's going to make the coach's coach. I said, well, this isn't going to be too hard to write. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think people should appreciate the fact that 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 was, uh, that was fun. That was not a rip. That was fun. We were having fun with TJ. We weren't ripping them, but TJ is TJ. Now I'm not comparing them as personalities, but PJ's like Trump. If, if you have, you can rip, you, if you have any fun with him, that can be detected as critical. Right. People nuts. The Gopher fans are just—it's like waving the waving the red flag in front of the bull, man. They don't want you to have any fun with DJ, even though he's a character who's created to have fun made of him, right? Running down the sidelines and doing all the other goofy stuff he does—he's asking to be made fun of, right? Yes, it's like there's the good. With the, there's like. And it's not even bad stuff. It's just like when you were an outsized personality, you set yourself up for yes. the, the criticism or the, the amusement that goes with the success. It just, uh, it just is. And, and you watch the game every time the Gophers made a play. I mean, Ibrahim runs 56 yards. They don't even let us see him get congratulated at the end zone. We got to go straight to PJ on the sideline, right? Every, I mean, every time the Gophers made a good play, there was PJ. So they got some producer telling them, hey, people love seeing this goofball on the sideline. So go to him whenever there's a chance he's going to be reacting to anything, right? Yeah. So, I mean, everything, there's there's a reason. Somebody told me secondhand of of the largest magnitude here. Somebody told me secondhand that Ryan Day already couldn't stand him. Oh, really? Game. yeah so uh you know the when so when ryan when they watch the tape of that game and have have gushed bellowing about how uh pj uh told them <laughs> he was gonna make them one of the rare times in their lives they've actually had to coach <laughs> you know yeah. that, whatever that man i mean he asked for it. he asked for it pj he asked for it you know they so. coached enough to score 35 points in six minutes of having the ball in the second half. So, well, the touch, I looked this up and I had it in the column, the uh, four touchdowns over 50, four touchdowns, 268 yards. Yeah. Four touchdowns. The 84 to 13 game. Oh no. No, 258 yards, 258. Yeah. The 84 to 13 game. Mm Mm-hmm. They had four touchdowns over 50 for 260 yards. So, yes, I've seen worse. <laughs> <laughs> 84 13. 13. Nobody, now, there was, a, there was that's also all you have to say 40, about that. There was also a 41 yarder in that one. And, oh, geez. Uh, but, yeah. but the longest, the four longest were uh, 260 yards in that game. So, oh. that was, uh, Mike, it's uh, too bad you weren't around for that one. Uh, I was I was I was around for that one. I was like seven, but you know, it was, yeah, it was alive that's one of the one of the most amazing events of my lifetime. The game starts. Chuck Dickerson is volleying in Sid's column that morning that we're going to go after these guys. We're not going to sit back and wait. First play of the game, I think it was the first play of the game. He's got like an eleven man front. And Irving Fryer standing out there, but you know, split right, saying, "Throw me the ball!" <laughs> <laughs> he 
Turner Gill tosses in the ball. He runs 70 yards down the field for a touchdown. Chuck's over there scratching his head saying, what the hell happened here? <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was amazing that, you know, they, people have always given Nebraska a hard time for not calling off the dogs, but they did. They had some guy named Stromberg who was like their four string quarterback playing in the, you know, you can only travel so many guys. Yeah. Playing in the fourth quarter, and he rolled out once. He ran like he he couldn't have started for the fold of Raiders for God's sake. He was floored. <laughs> my my brother was the quarterback for the slower fold of Raiders. He was faster than this guy. The guy rolled out, goes goes around right end, and nobody's chasing him. He's loping down the field for a touchdown. Oh my it was uh, it was amazing. Pete Nigerian was the leading tackler in that game. Whenever oh he gets. Whenever he gets too cocky, I bring on. I say, <laughs> hey, you remember 8413? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patrick. Well, really quick, we got a few more minutes left. You got out to the town ball. Uh, how was that? Yes. I was out of Chaska two weekends ago. Chaska was great. That great old ballpark down there in the river. They've done all, they did a lot of work to get it better. And I mean, it really looked great. And uh, they had a bunch of tents and they were busy. And uh, they were they were doing good. And then uh, over the weekend, I went to Waconia. They got that new ballpark, I think, two, 2016 or 17. And the Baseball Association built it. And but they got a lot of civic groups and the high school rents it for like 20,000 a year to play their games and stuff like that. And uh, and Waconia, really, a really nice ballpark. They got some of those decks and stuff. But yeah. uh, then the third ballpark was the, uh, uh, Hamburg, which is that little town out there. And they've got, they've been like, they're, they're the third park, the third option as they call them. And that's out in the country. I've been out there a few times. It's just an old country ballpark right next to the fields, you know? So they had kind of a great mix of ballparks here and they, apparently their attendance was the hot. Now back in the day, they had the, the tournament was at one site. And it would, they played it all week. They didn't just play it on okay. weekend. It was like a 10-day event. So they played on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, blah, blah, blah. But it was supposedly the highest total attendance they've had since 1959. So wow. That's, that's, that was, uh, that's over that 60 pretty, years. That's pretty they good. Had pretty, they had pretty good weather. And, uh, you know, they, they, got, they put 48 teams in Class C now and 16 in Class B because teams don't like to play in Class B. They you know, they just, it's a little tougher competition. The rules are a little different. And, uh, and, uh, but, uh, Chan Asin won their fourth straight, uh, class B title and won it easy beat Meesville. And then, uh, Sobieski, uh, won its second title in 2014. They won, they had a pitcher named Tyler Gendro back then who pitched every inning. Fine. you know and and I, I was talking to him but he's not what he used to be you get in a car accident and he doesn't so they had three drafted pitchers you can draft pitchers from teams in your region that you beat you know sure uh the, their three drafted pitchers pitched every inning and the caleb strack this kid caleb strack this kid the uh pitched uh the three three complete game shutouts and he including 11 innings yesterday wow and and they beat uh, they beat Watertown, uh, which hadn't won what eighty years. Had Watertown mm. last won the state 
tournament 80 years ago. So they got beat in the finals, but yeah. anyway, I get, I, I wasn't out there yesterday, but I they had good crowds and, uh, seemed to have a good old time. And, uh, and, uh, the best part of going to Waconia is I, uh, I ran into Swanee Landine who, uh, Swanee used to be a big buddy of, uh, Jimmy Robertson, of Calvin's brother. And then he became through that, he became a buddy of Calvin. And Swanee drove the rendering truck. No, oh, no. In, in Lester Prairie. <laughs> okay. So he picked up dead animals in yeah. Lester Prairie and then would come in and hang out in Calvin's suite with the Roberts. So I always thought this was Carl Polad hung out with, you know, Fortune five, 400 CEOs. Yeah. And Calvin and his brothers hung out with the rendering truck driver from Lester Prairie. I thought this was, <laughs> I thought this was a pretty good people want to know the difference in ownership uh, between Calvin and, uh, and, and Carl, I, you know, that that's, that, that's a pretty Swanee, good one. Swanee describes it pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Swanee, used to, Swanee used to drink in his day. He's been sober now for 20 some years, I think, but Swanee wants, uh, the, the, I, I was out playing golf on my circuit in Lester Prairie and they started telling Swanee stories and, you know, he basically you'd go out and pick up sick animals and most of them were already dead, but if they weren't, you'd put a bullet in them. Right. And then they'd throw them in the truck and take them to the, wherever they took them. And, uh, Swanee, uh, shot this horse, had to shoot this poor horse one day, it decided to stop and have a couple of three drinks and, in, the, in town before he took him to wherever he was taking him. And he came out and the horse was standing up in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking around. And then he probably dropped off the horse and went and hung out and watched yeah. the ball game with Calvin. He told me he went to 80 out of 81 home games. Wow. So that's a, yeah, so that's I ran into Swanee. So that was, that was worth it because I hadn't seen him in years. So. Anyway. Some of those old time characters that uh, <laughs> we just don't get enough of uh, these days. Uh, no, you get them in town ball. You yes, you do. Ball, you see the old yes. uh, Dick, uh, Dick Bremer's grade school teacher uh-huh. was from uh, Dubot was there and and, uh, and she's 94 years old rooting for the Dumont Saints. And when the school, when the school that Bremer went through until the family left in the fourth grade closed, they had seven students, not a class of seven, seven students. Wow. <laughs> I think one through six. And she was the teacher. And then, wow. uh, and then, uh, so uh, she was, she was at the game too. And uh, Darla says they're down to about 75 people in uh, Bremer's hometown. So mm. they were, they were the opponent for, uh, for Sobieski when I was out there. So wow. these two little dots on the road, yeah, you know, that, that still have town balls is, is pretty amazing. Minnesota, pretty uniquely Minnesota. Absolutely. Patrick, great show. Good stuff. We'll do this again next week. I'm sure we'll have to talk about the Vikings next week. Cause that will be the day after their opener made it a whole show. without uh, talking about them. I'm proud of us. Yeah. Well, that's right. And uh, Vikings by 17 against the lowly Bengals. I'll give you my prediction. Hopefully we'll it'll be more accurate than my gopher. prediction. Sounds good. Thanks Patrick. All right. Goodbye.